He starts off, let's start in verse 25. He says, and I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll, we'll go over it. He says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so as we go through this, I want you to pay attention and not tickle your neighbor. As we go through this, I want you to, to pay attention to the text and focus on yourself in the midst of these words, okay? Don't start thinking about, oh yeah, my brother needs to hear this, or my friend needs to hear this. This is speaking to you, and it's for you, okay? So again, focus and be intentional about what is being said here to you as a new believer, as a born-again believer, not a new believer. Paul says, he says, therefore, and obviously he writes therefore because we need to look and see what it's there for. He says, put away lying. Okay, we're all guilty of that. Put away lying. You're like, what well, I like to lie. I'm good at lying. It, it, it's beneficial to me, right? And that's what Satan wants us to believe. That's what the world does believe, and that's what they promote. But lying, it hurts. And it leads to, to more lying, which leads to destruction. He says, put away lying. You know, we live in a world that's full of deception and lies. I think of the very first time that man sinned. You know, it was man's choice to sin. But what did Satan, the serpent, do to man before they sinned? What did he do? He deceived them, right? What did he, de- what did he do? He said, look... It, sh- it, it surely wouldn't be that you, I forget what he says, but he basically deceived them in saying that's not exactly what God said, you know? And that's what Satan does. He'll try and deceive you with little things that have a nugget of truth, but just because it has a nugget of truth doesn't mean it's the whole truth. And so understanding that we do live in a world that's full of deception, it's, w- it's full of lies, and he started thinking of like examples of deception and lies that we have within our world. <laughs> the first thing I thought of was makeup. It's a full-on deception, right? Like, that is not how you look. Somebody throws on some makeup, and now there's like, I, look, I'm not like against makeup, okay? Don't get me wrong. But when you think about the, the, the reason behind makeup, what's it for? To, to cover, to deceive what you really look like, right? And it's not to say that you're ugly, because honestly, sp- speaking honest... I truly believe that people who, who put makeup on are more beautiful just their natural selves than they are with, with makeup on. You know, and what that is, it's, it's a deception. It's a lie. It's not really who you look like or, or, or what you look like. You know, I thought of uh, makeup, uh, Spanx. <laughs> I don't know why. Those are the first two things that, like, came to my mind. I'm not trying to bash on women here, okay? But, like, Spanx, I'm like, you guys know what Spanx are? Like, those really tight-fitting things to, like, cover up your rolls. <laughs> I'm like, well, what's the purpose of that? It's to lie. It's to deceive. Just, just be who you are, right? Now, for men, we do lie in some areas. Uh, we lie, you know, about how much, like, we can bench or lift or, you know, yeah, I, I maxed out at, like, two-something and, like, you can barely lift the bar. We lie about so much. You know, pastors... Pastors lie too. Pastors lie about the numbers of people that's in their church. You know, they got like 405 people, but they'll round up that number to 500 just to sound better, right? We lie so much when it comes to numbers. We lie when it comes to our age. We over-exaggerate things where it has an, a, a hint of truth to it, but you're, you're exaggerating it, which makes it deceitful. And that's what a lie is. A lie is, is telling something consciously, intentionally with, with falsehood, trying to deceive you know, and there's so much that, that we do lie about. Even nowadays in our, our modern world, you know, I think about catfishing and um, just the way that we present ourselves on social media, the way that others present themselves on social media. Sometimes the way that we even present ourselves now in front of people where we come in with a smile and yet deep down we're like 
either depressed, angry, sad, and we try to deceive others in the way that the way that we feel. You know, so our our world is so full of lies and and Paul is telling the Ephesian church here and he's telling specifically the Ephesian believers here that you're not to be the same way as the world who is full of lies and deception, but you're to put that off. Remember, he he said earlier to put off the old man. It's like literally to take off, to be conscious of this and to put it off and to take it off just like you would with any type of of dirty clothes or, or something that is on you. So he says, put off, putting away lying because lying leads to destruction. Lying is of the devil. And we know it's not of God because God cannot lie. He goes on to say, and he quotes a verse from Zechariah. He says, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. You know, we lie so much with one another that it just hurts one another. And he says, okay, put off lying and put on telling the truth. Okay, put on telling the truth and speak truth with your neighbor. You know, a great quote. I don't know if anybody, I won't name who the quote is from, but it's a great quote about lying. He says, there's only one thing I hate more than lying, skim milk, which is water that's lying about being milk. (laughs) Listen to this. A busload of politicians were driving down a country road. Don't, politicians, okay? This is where it's going. They're they're driving down a country road when all of a sudden the bus ran off the road and crashed head on into a large oak tree in the field of an elderly farmer. Yeah, it got dark. The old farmer... It's just a joke, guys. Get over it. The old farmer, after seeing what happened, went to the scene and saw carnage everywhere. He then proceeded to dig a large hole into which he placed all the passengers of the bus and buried them. A few days later, the local sheriff happened by. I don't know why it was a few days later. That's crazy. He happened by and he saw the bus up against a tree, so he stopped to investigate what had happened. And he asked the old gentleman if he had witnessed the accident and wondered what became of the politicians riding on the bus. And the farmer replied that he had seen the accident and then buried the victims. And the sheriff asked, were all of the politicians riding on that bus dead? And the old farmer shrugged and replied, well, some of them said they weren't, but you know how them politicians lie. (laughs) So lying is bad. Simple as that. But we we know the heart and the deception behind lying. Shh. And that instead of just not lying, we also need to tell the truth. And withholding truth sometimes is, no, withholding truth is, is a part of lying. You know, telling a half truth is lying. There's so much that goes in that. But again, he's telling us to, to speak truth with our neighbor. And for what reason? Because he says at the end of verse 25, for we are members of one another. Do you get that? So when you lie and you deceive somebody else, you are not only hurting them, but you're hurting yourself. Especially when it comes to us as Christians and we deceive and we lie to each other, we're uh, we're really hurting ourselves because he says we are members of one another. Remember, we've studied this, that we are one body. We are a body of Christ, how some of us exemplify a hand and some of us a foot and some of us a knee or whatever it is. So think of it this way. If your hand touched the stove that's on, right? And your brain didn't, your brain received that. Yeah, that's hot. That's hurting. But or what am I getting at? No, but your sense, how about this? You touch the stove, but it doesn't send the signal that it's hot and that it's hurting to your brain for you to think, okay, well, I got to take my hand off of it, right? You're eventually, you're hurting yourself. By deceiving, by withholding truth, you are hurting yourself, but you're also hurting others in the midst of that. And that is the reason, that is the main reason that we shouldn't lie. Because we hurt ourselves and we harm others. A body can't function when it's deceiving itself, when it's lying to itself. And not only that, as we're going to learn today, that it gives place to the devil. You know, these things that are of the devil, that are not of God, gives place to the devil. It gives him a foothold within our lives for him to just just ravage within it and to make it worse. You give him just an inch and he'll take a mile. And that's why Paul is just so adamant about these things, about putting them away. and, And not only putting this stuff away, but then putting on what is good. He goes on to say in verse 26, 
So we've talked about lying. Now we're going to talk about anger. He says, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. You know, you guys have heard this before. Be angry and don't sin. You've heard the expression that like you can, you can be angry and not sin and there's righteous indignation, right? You guys have all heard this. Jesus was angry and obviously Jesus was perfect and he never sinned. You guys have all heard that? And you guys have probably made the excuse of, well, this is righteous indignation. Like, I- I'm angry and I'm not sinning. You be very careful about that. That is a very fine line to be angry, but also to not sin in that anger. And Paul here, he's quoting Psalm 4.4 in the Old Testament. And earlier he quoted another Old Testament verse. But anger here means to be... It's defined as an emotional arousal caused by something that displeases us. You know, I did say it's a very fine line about being angry and not sinning, but it is also possible. You know, God does get angry, but it's always for the right reason. You know, when we get angry, it's not always for the right reason. Very rarely is it for the right reason. Usually it's for a, it's because of a selfish reason. In Romans 2.5, it talks about God and his righteous anger. It says, But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You have to understand that the anger that God has is a righteous anger. And rarely do we have a righteous anger. And Paul is reminding us that if we do have anger, do not sin. Now, God does have anger, and that wrath can go towards us, but Jesus has redeemed us from that if we accept it, that he takes that wrath, that consequence of our sin, because he tells us in Romans 5, 8, 9, he says, God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know that. Christ loved us even while we were still a mess, and he died for us even when we didn't even think about it or care about it or even want it. But it goes on to say in verse 9, Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So it is through Jesus Christ that we are saved from this wrath of God. And remember that wrath is it's right. It's, 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 it's not wrong. It's for a purpose. It's, it's his justice. Because there is a consequence to the things that we do bad. So don't get this, this text mixed up and thinking that you're trying to vindicate your righteous indignation, okay? That, that you can be uh, angry about this thing and not sin when in actuality you're deceiving yourself and you're actually angry and sinning at the same time. Paul tells us here that we can control this. We can control our anger. And I know there's some of us in this room, I know it's one of the things that I struggle with is anger. And it's very controllable. You know, we have been given the Holy Spirit to, to overcome these things. You know, I think of an example of controlling our anger because he says, be angry and do not sin, which means that you can be angry and control it so that you do not sin. I think of it in like this. Have you guys ever been angry? And you've been so angry and that you're just, you're, I don't know how you display that anger, but then, I don't know, you roll up to the drive-thru or somebody calls you or somebody walks in and all of a sudden you just like will switch. You're like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know what I mean? You're like, oh, God. oh, hey. You know, you didn't see them coming in, right? You've done that before. You can control it. You can control it. God, give, we don't have this, you know, we're not, we're not able to not control our emotions. God has given us the Holy Spirit to overcome those things. So he says, be angry and do not sin. And the thing that you're angry about, is it something that has to do with God's righteousness? Or does it have something to do with an inconvenience? Does it have something to do with you personally? Because oftentimes, you know, then that anger will lead to, to something else, which is will, will cause you to sin. But he goes on to say, and he ends this verse, he says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Many, many teachers, many pastors say that, hey, like, you, you can't be angry the next morning, right? This is what this verse is telling us. It's saying, you're angry right now, but before you go to bed, make sure that you're not angry. 
right? I don't think that's really the, the context of this verse. I really think what Paul is trying to say is he's giving us an idea that, hey, this anger needs to be resolved and it needs to be resolved soon. Whether that's tonight, today, tomorrow, or the next day, but it shouldn't go on and on and on. It shouldn't take weeks. It shouldn't take months because what happens is the more that we we let our anger sit and fester, it just builds up and it grows. And it grows grows into bitterness and it grows into uh, wrath and clamor and evil speaking of the things that we see here in verse 31, which then all leads to malice, which leads to, to something probably physical. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. It has to be resolved. Whatever the case is, whatever the situation is, it has to be resolved. There's no limit here of, a, of having anger for only 12 hours, remember. But there's also an understanding that it doesn't need to be resolved right then. Don't, don't try to do it too quickly that it's fake. Does that make sense? Don't try to overcome your anger so quickly that it's not genuine. But there has to be this genuineness to it. And it should be not too quick and not too long. Don't let your anger go without it being resolved. And you have to do your part in resolving it. So how do we resolve it? Let's find out. Don't get, in verse 27, nor give place to the devil. All right, so two things that we've been talking about. Lying and anger. And then Paul says right here in the midst of this, don't give place to the devil. You allow a little bit, you allow the, you open the door an inch, what do you think the devil's going to do? You think he's going to knock on the door and ask nicely if he can come in? No, he's going to take what he can get. And if he gets an inch, he's going to swing that door wide open and he's going to take your lying to something greater than just a little white lie. It's going to go, it's going to become greater than just telling your parents, yes, you did your chores when in actuality you didn't. It's going to, it's going to get to a place where you start lying about where you've been and what you've been doing. You know, and you start lying even in greater and greater instances. The same thing with anger. You start becoming angry with a little thing or you, it's, it's unresolved. It starts to fester. It starts to build. Then you're just, you're angry at people who have done no wrong to you. And then you're angry at the world. And then you're just angry. And then your anger turns into some type of, of wrath where you're, you're trying to let your anger out. And it comes out verbally. It comes out physically. You know, you let these things fester. You let the devil take an inch and he'll take a mile, guys. So Paul's warning us, okay? Don't be ignorant, guys. He's warning us that don't give place to the devil. And the way to do this is to not lie and to start telling truth, to live a life of truth. And this only happens through Jesus Christ. If you're not following Jesus, if you're not intimate with him in a relationship, then you're never going to grow when it comes to telling truth. You're never going to grow in being angry and not sinning and having a righteous anger. Don't give place to the devil because the devil will take it and not only will he use it to, to hurt you, but he'll use it to hurt others. You know, his goal is to just destroy. He comes to, to, to kill, to steal, and destroy. And he will. I, I mean, you can see this from your own personal lives that the little bit of sin that you allow, the, the Satan will take it and he'll try to destroy and he'll try to divide your family. He'll try to divide our family as a body, as a church. You know, that's why it's so important here that Paul is reminding these Ephesian Christians that they should stop lying, start telling truth to one another, and to not be angry. And if you are angry, that you do not sin and you don't let it go long. Because the devil will take his place. He'll sow discord among us. He'll try to divide us. It happens far too often. And some of it we see, some of it we don't see, but that's the devil's work. He wants to divide us. Because what? A house divided can't stand. If we, as a church, are divided, 
we can't stand. We can't, we can't stand. We can't do the work of what Jesus, we have to work together. If my right half of the body wants to go this way, my left half of my body wants to go this way, what's going to happen? I don't know. That'd be interesting to see. My right side would probably win because I'm stronger on this side, but you get what I'm saying. A house divided cannot stand. If we are divided as members, if we are divided as a body, we, we cannot stand. We cannot work together. We cannot do what we've been called to do as Christians. And I know that there are some of you in this room right now who are divided. You've been mistreated or you are treating somebody the way that they shouldn't be treated. Or you've said something about them behind their back. Or somebody has said something about you behind your back. I don't know what the situation is, but there's there's somebody, there's people in this room who need to resolve their division. They need to start living what this new man looks like. And it's it's speaking truth. And what we're going to learn in a minute is more than just speaking truth, but it's it's edifying. You know, and so often when we speak to one another, we speak about one another it's to tear one another down because you think as you tear somebody else down you lift yourself up you think the more that you gossip about this person you're tearing them down you're demeaning them that it makes you look like a better person that it makes you look like oh well i'm not going through that i didn't do this i didn't do that my family didn't do this or that you make you you try to esteem yourself and there's no place for that because that just brings division it's selfishness it's destructive so he says do not give place to the devil you know there's several instances in the new testament where we see glimpses of this where satan can get in a foothold in people's lives we see in acts chapter 5 anias and uh, sapphira wanted to be important in the church so they told lies about the things that they did for the lord we see this in acts 5 3 it says, Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? And Paul also warned in 2 Corinthians 2.11 to the Corinthians about their need to forgive a person who had been under discipline at the church. He encouraged them to forgive. And he said in 2.11, he said, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Peter tells us that Satan walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whomever he may devour. He's going to prey on those who are going to open the door just an inch, who are just going to lie a little bit, who are just going to be angry about this, who are not going to forgive others. The things that are going to fester, Satan's going to take a hold of, and he's going to cause division. It's his devices. He knows it. He sees it. Paul goes on to say in verse 28, let him who steal, steal no longer. Okay, so lying, anger, and stealing. Don't steal anymore, guys. It's as simple as that. Sure, that's, that's, that's who you were as an old man. But the new man, the born-again Christian, does not steal, but it's quite the opposite. So when you steal from somebody, you're a thief and you're harming somebody else you're, you're taking something that is not yours you know and it's all based on selfishness it's all based on greed you know and and we struggle with that sometimes because we want more and more or we want something that we don't have you know we've been going through the 10 commandments how we shouldn't cover covet you know we shouldn't covet our neighbor's house and our neighbor's wives and our neighbor's this and that you know, and it happens far too often, especially again in this modern age with social media, we see what people have and we want what they have because we don't have it. And that greed can sometimes take you as so far to actually literally steal something. It's the greed that's behind it. You know, in North Africa, do you know how they catch monkeys? You guys have probably heard this before. Uh, I'll tell you. They have a clever method of catching monkeys. They fill up a number of gourds with nuts. Monkeys love it. And they firmly fasten it to a branch of a tree. And each of them has a hole just large enough for the monkey to stick his, his hand or his paw into it. And when the hungry animal discovers this, he quickly grasps the nuts. So he puts his hand in, right? Just, just big enough. 
and then he grabs the nuts, but the, the hole is too small for him to bring out his hand full of the, the food that's inside. And so he's stuck. And they don't want to let... <laughs> you guys are all sad. You don't, they don't want to let go of what, what they want, and so they're stuck. They're trapped. When they could easily save themselves and just let go of what they really desire and what they really want. And so they take them captive. You know, it's a good imagery of, of us when it comes to our greed. You know, so often we grab a hold of the things that we want, and yet here we are just waiting captive. You know, Satan's just walking about and he says, Oh, there's Jeffrey desiring that thing again, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna run with it. But he goes on to say, listen, not only are you to not steal, okay? I mean, that's just common sense in general, but it goes beyond just stealing like, okay, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to take something from you. And I know we've all done that and it's, it's in different, you know, scenarios and, and different weights of it. Some of us have stolen like a piece of gum. Some of us have stolen clothing. You know, I'll, t- I'll tell you, for example, a way that I stole once, and I feel really bad about it, and that's why I'm going to tell you, is that I switched a price tag on something one time. You know, so rather than it being $50, it was $10. That's a way to steal. You know, and that was, that was wrong of me. You know, there's, there's a way of stealing when you guys get older and you start to have a job, and you get paid for your time to be there. And you can steal by not working and by not being diligent by taking breaks, by checking your phone, you know, when in reality you're not getting paid to take, take those, those breaks that are, are not uh, given to you or, or you're not paid to, to check your phone or to relax and, and not work. You know, there's, there's different ways of stealing. But he says this, Paul says this, so not only don't steal, he says rather let him labor so he says, look, you as a born-again Christian, don't steal. And as the new man, you need to work hard. Because what does hard work bring? It says, let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. You work hard, and you will reap what you sow. You will, you will get... You, will get <laughs> you work hard in a company, they will reward you for it right? Either you'll get paid what you earned, or sometimes they reward you above and beyond what you earned, right? That's why everybody goes to work to receive something, to receive finances, to receive money. But he says, as you receive this, as you work hard and you earn what you earned, what do you do? Give him who has need. That's a crazy concept, especially amongst us. Because a lot of us think, okay, well, I earned that. That's mine. I put in the hard work to get, let's say you mowed, I don't know, 10 lawns this weekend and you got $200. The last thing you probably want to do is give it to somebody or give a portion to somebody. You don't want to lend your friend 50 bucks. You're like, no, dude, I worked my butt off to get this $200. But Paul says, as a believer... This is the heart that you're to have. God will bless you in what you need. And sometimes even you're to give in what you do need, not just in the overabundance of what you get. It's a crazy concept. How many of you are willing and able to give anything that you have to somebody that needs it? Good. Are you willing to give money are you willing to give your favorite dress or your favorite video game are, are you willing like not that somebody's going to need a video game right <laughs> but you know what i'm saying you have to have the heart and the mentality behind this that now as you're working and you're laboring hard you're not stealing anymore you're going to get what you deserve but you also have the mentality of helping others who are in need to give we're to be people that give listen guys you have to be, if you consider yourself a Christian, you are to give. And I'm not, this isn't a spiel about trying to give to the church, okay? I'm not trying to get your money. I'm not, none of that. You're supposed to have the heart and the mentality of giving because the reason you're a Christian, it's because somebody gave. Do you understand that? So how could you be a Christian? And the whole point of, and the whole reason behind being a Christian is because 
For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son. So how could you be so selfish to never give? Are you even a Christian if you're so self-centered and you can't ever freely give? And I don't know what that, that, that giving looks like, guys. I don't know if that's gi- that giving is your time, your resources, your money. I, I really think it's all of it. But are you willing to do that? Some of us are not willing to give up our time for those in need. You know, some of us are not willing to give up our, our resources or to lend out things that we have for somebody who's in need. But you need to be. And you have to work hard for what you receive. Don't be the person that just sits about waiting to receive something by not putting in hard work. Don't be lazy. He says, let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor. This labor, it means to grow weary, tired, exhausted, to labor with wearisome effort, to toil. To put in the hard work, guys. Not all of you are going to sit behind a webcam and be a YouTube star. You're going to have to work hard. And that's not to say that they don't work hard, but you get what I'm saying. There's so many of us that want to want to make a good living, but we don't want to put in the good, put in the hard work. And as we put in the hard work, we're to be givers and not just givers, but cheerful givers. And not just to give because God commands it, but to give because that's who we are. That's us as the new man. We do not work to have, but we work to give. I love that. We don't work to have, but we work to give. And we need to learn to be a people who give because we have been changed by a God who gives. You know, we think about salvation. That's, that's a free gift of God. But we go back into Ephesians in the, in the first chapter, even the second chapter, we see all the spiritual blessings that Jesus gives us. It's like overabundance. Like, Jesus, calm down. Like, that's a lot. But he's like, no, I want to give you more and more and more and more because he loves us. And that's the same mentality that we're to have that Jesus has for us. He goes on to say in verse 29, he says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. This word corrupt means rotten, putrefied, of poor quality, bad, unfit for use, and worthless. How much of our talk, how much of our conversation is corrupt and how much of it is is good you know think about that guys and you got to think about this it's a lot of the 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 excuses are well it's it's just words you know if you think about bad words if you think about something that's just uh dirty or whatever you, you might try to justify it by saying you know it's just it's just words it doesn't it doesn't mean anything you know the words that come out of our mouth are a reflection of our heart and who you are as as a person as a being in Luke chapter 6 verse 45 it says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks you know, I know we all know how to, how to speak well, how to speak good when it's necessary, when it's a certain situation, when it's certain people around. Whether that's your parents, whether it has to do at church, or I don't know. <laughs> I hear this a lot. Oh, you can't say that in church. So you, you can say it outside of church? Like, what's the concept behind that? Because your heart's the same whether you're in church or not. That hasn't changed. It's not about who's around or who isn't around. It's not about in what setting you're in or you're not in. God tells us through Paul here that we are to not have any corrupt word proceed out of our mouth. Because in reality, what comes out of our mouth is what's in our heart. And so really, it's not what comes out of our mouth that needs to change. It's what's 
and our heart needs to change. Look at this, guys. He says, an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Do you, do you slander somebody? Do you, do you say bad jokes? Do you use bad words? This is more than just being a, a goody-two-shoe type person and not cursing. This has to do with the heart, guys. It's so easy to say whatever you want to say. And Paul reminds us, not only we do not have corrupt word proceed out of our mouth, but what? Rather to exchange that for what is good, for what is necessary for edification. Too often we gossip, and it's, again, it's, I'm in the same boat as you guys. Gossiping is easy. Sometimes it's fun because we are so driven by selfish motive that when we gossip, we're, we're, we're dragging somebody else through the mud and it's not us. And you're like, yeah, it's not, it's not me. At least it's not me. Like, at least I'm not them. You know, that's, that's our mentality. And then you see the person and you're like, oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Like we're best friends. No, like that's not, that's not right, guys. Could you ever see Jesus doing that? No, because <laughs> he doesn't, he never did. So you as a Christian, as a new man, speak what is good for necessary edification. You know, I remember I went on a mission trip to England one time and all the guys were on one side. We, we slept in one room. All the girls were on the other side. And so the guys, we were guys. We did guy things, right? We wrestled. We, we played pranks. And, you know, it, eventually it got so far that, you know, we started to cause division amongst our group of guys because we were saying things to one another that, that wasn't good. We weren't, it just wasn't good. And if it wasn't good, that meant it was bad. And it wasn't overtly bad. You understand this? Like I was on a mission trip. It's not like we were out here like cursing at each other and calling each other names and doing this, but it wasn't edifying. And one of the kids spoke up and he, and he said this and I'll never forget. And he said, look, what we're saying to one another, what we're What's coming out of our mouth is not edifying. And what does edifying mean? It means to build one another up. That's what we need, guys. Like, the world too much tears us down. Like, we, we don't need to help. We don't need to, to add on to it. We need to build one another up. We need to speak what is good for the necessary edification. It's necessary, guys. We need it. You need it. Some of us are going through hard things, and we need to be built up rather than, you know, somebody telling a joke about us. You know, and it's just sometimes it could be a simple, plain joke, but that simple, plain joke will set you off. And then that will lead to another thing and, and another thing when it could all have been avoided if we just speak what is good, what is edifying. Listen, being a Christian is not just avoiding bad language. <laughs> you understand that, right? It's not. Being a Christian means saying words that build faith in others to be intentional with that. Being a Christian to go along with this is not just avoiding sin. You don't you shouldn't wake up every day and, and try and say, "Oh, I'm not going to sin today." No, that's God didn't create you to to be so intentional that you're trying not to sin every day. He wants you so focused on him that it it naturally comes as you walk in the spirit that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. He goes on to say that it may impart grace to the hearers. Again, this edification, as he speaks of, it's necessary for edification, is, is a building up. And Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a, of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. And I believe James tells us about how strong the tongue is. You know, the things that we say. He said, I think he likens it to a, a rudder of a boat which is a, a small little piece on a boat that can maneuver a boat, whether it goes left or right. He likens it to like a forest fire that it can just start with a cigarette, right? And then you guys have seen those forest fires in California. Often they are just a misplaced cigarette and that thing will burn hundreds of thousands of acres. You know, what you say can go far beyond just those two, three, four simple words. I love this. Think about this and write this down if you can. Alan Redpath, he wrote this once. And he said, I once formed a mutual encouragement fellowship at a time of stress in one of my pastorates. The members subscribed to a simple formula applied before speaking of any person or subject 
that was perhaps controversial. This is kind of like something that your mom would tell you. So he said, think, okay, and take the, each letter of the word. And he says, for T, he says, is it true? So before you speak, think, is it true? H is, is it helpful? I is, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? You know, I'm sure your mom or your dad has said to you before, think before you speak. Or if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah, I heard that one often when I was a kid. But to think, am I, what I'm about to say, is it, is it degrading? Is it demeaning? Is it, is it corrupt word? Or what am I, am I about to say, is it good? Is it edifying? He goes on to say, and we'll, we'll try and wrap up in a minute. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen, all these things that are not of God, the, when we do them, we grieve the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? First, that shows us that the Holy Spirit is not just a thing. Okay? Things don't grieve. They're not saddened. Right? Like, I could not grieve the foosball table. Like, I could hit it all I want. I could say mean things about it, and it would never get sad. Right? We're all on the same page here? This shows us that the Holy Spirit is a person, is a being. That the things that we do that are not of God can grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, oftentimes we we liken the Holy Spirit to wind, right? But you can't grieve wind because wind is not a person. So it's a likening, but it's not... It's not an imitate. It's not an exact exact science of that. The Holy Spirit is wind. No, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit who is a person of God, and can be grieved. And we, as Christians who receive the Holy Spirit, can grieve the Holy Spirit by the way that we live and the things that we do. Speaking here of lying, of being angry, of corrupt word coming out of our mouth, of stealing, and so much more that Paul has already covered. Spurgeon wrote this. He said. Sin everywhere must be displeasing to the spirit of holiness, but sin in his own people is grievous to him in the highest degree. He will not hate his people, but he does hate their sins and hates them all the more because they nestle in his children's bosoms. The spirit would not be the spirit of truth if he could approve of that which is false in us. He would not be pure if that which is impure in us did not grieve him. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. You know, and the Holy Spirit will convict. We talked about this last week. That the Holy Spirit will impart conviction on us. and, And through that conviction, we realize what we've done is wrong. That we are grieving the Holy Spirit. There's a similar phrase here that's also found in the book of Isaiah. We see it in Isaiah chapter 63, verses 9 and 10. I'll read it really quick. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them, and he carried them all the days of the old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. This is talking about Israel being led out of Egypt. And if you've been here on Wednesday nights, you know we've been studying this. It was Israel being led out of Egypt into wilderness and how the people rebelled in the wilderness and they just continued to do what they wanted to do. And the writer of Hebrews, he also gives us a little insight into this. In Hebrews chapter 3, 7, and 10, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my work for 40 years. They saw God's work, and that's pretty evident as we've been reading through it, that they saw everything that God did, not just like little tiny things, but huge things. When they were in dire need, they saw God work. It goes on to say in verse 10, Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So even though that they've seen God's work, they didn't follow and obey God's ways. And it grieved the Holy Spirit. Spurgeon also said this. He said, I think I see the Spirit of God grieving. When you are sitting down to read a novel and there is your Bible unread, 
Perhaps you take down some book of travel, take down some book of travels, and you forget that you have got a more precious book of travels than the Acts of the Apostles and the story of your blessed Lord and Master. You have no time for prayer, but the Spirit sees you very active about worldly things, and having many hours to spare for relaxation and amusement. And then He is grieved because He sees you love worldly things better than you love Him. Are you grieving the Holy Spirit? There's a way to write this. That's to see God's ways, to know God's ways, and obey God's ways. To put off the old man and to put on the new. And Paul reminds us here that not only can we grieve the Holy Spirit, but this Holy Spirit is the one who has sealed us for the day of redemption. It's a reminder here that although we can grieve him, that we cannot lose him. That salvation is... is is not to be lost, that the Holy Spirit is to not be taken away from us. He reminds us, and he started off in Ephesians chapter 1, which we talked about, I believe, in the first or second week, that we have been sealed again with the Holy Spirit. And this seal here is a picture of a completed transaction that God had finished paying for our sins. It was a picture of ownership that he left his mark on us. It was a picture of security, and everyone else can keep their hands off. It was a picture of authenticity that God's spirit on your life is a proof that you are a Christian. can never be taken away. And it's a wonderful thing. And Paul, again, he reminds us here that this seal will stay on us for the rest of our lives until the day that Jesus comes back. And he closes the chapter here in verses 31 and 32. And he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness here, and I, I don't really know if I have time to go through each word, but bitterness here means a bitter root and so producing a bitter fruit. Resentfulness, harshness. Letting something just continue to simmer inside until it begins to eat away at us. You know, I don't know what the situation is, what the occurrence of it is, but if it's there, that bitterness, I believe, can lead to wrath and that wrath to anger, that anger to clamor, and that clamored to evil speaking, and that evil speaking to malice. Don't test it. Wrath we know as something that's passion, heat, outbursts of anger like the flame that comes from dried weeds when a match has been lit to them. And anger deals with our temper. Clamor. You're like, what the heck is clamor? <laughs> Clamor, is a, a, this term implies noise, commotion, uproar. Believers are not to be known as obnoxious, riotous, troublemaking, annoying people. This word is also translated as quarreling. Paul reminds us that we're not to be people of argument. To have that type of attitude where we just argue about everything. And evil speaking we know to be as, as slander. And malice is ill will, desire to injure, a vicious disposition. He says, put all those things away. Those aren't a part of the Christian life, but rather, we'll close here, and be kind to one another. Remember, it's more than just putting off the old man and these bad things, but it's putting on the good things. To be kind. That's one of the most beautiful traits that you will see in a person is somebody who's kind. And, and is kind to anybody and everyone, no matter the situation, the person, what they've done or what they've said, to be kind. It says, be kind to one another. Can you be kind? That's just, that's a simple like challenge for us. Can we be kind to one another? Forget, forget the past, forget what has been said, what has been done. There needs to be reconciliation, yes, but you also need to start off with kindness, gentleness. I think a good definition of kindness is doing good things for others. Are you kind? And Jesus has given us that example, and he tells us in Luke 6, 35, he says, Love your enemies, do good, and lend hope, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. He says, be kind to them, but also be kind, obviously, to those that are thankful and those that are good. 
He says, be tender-hearted. It means compassionate. Jesus, again, is the prime example of compassion. Often you see through the New Testament that he had compassion on those who were without a shepherd. Do you have the heart of compassion for people? And he ends here and he says, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. And that's one of the hardest things to do as a Christian. But yet it should be one of the most simple things to do because you are a Christian. He says, forgive others, forgive one another. Why is it so simple? Because he says here, even as God and Christ forgave you. It's because Jesus Christ forgave you, you should be able to forgive others. I'll close with this. The older King, the King James, anybody have a King James version of the Bible on them right now? It says in your text, it says, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It doesn't just say in Christ, but for Christ's sake. The reason you forgive is be- it's for Christ's sake. It gives us an assurance of forgiveness that it is for Christ's sake. Spurgeon says this, last thing. If anyone here who is a Christian finds a difficulty in forgiveness, I am going to give him three words which will help him wonderfully. I would put them into the good man's mouth. I gave them to you just now and prayed you to get the sweetness of them. Here they are, for Christ's sake. Cannot you forgive an offender on that ground? I messed up big time one time in my life, and the person would not forgive me until somebody reminded them, I believe, of Matthew chapter chapter um, 18. But the story about the, the man who was forgiven, and yet he couldn't go on and he couldn't forgive somebody else. And it was told to this person, and they, they forgave me. Because they realized, how could I not forgive Jeffrey if Jesus has forgiven me? Because the forgiveness that was given to me was way more abundant from Jesus than the forgiveness I'm going to give to Jeffrey. Look, if Christ has forgiven you, don't, don't withhold that forgiveness because Christ didn't withhold it from you. And to forgive even if somebody doesn't seek that forgiveness.